Welcome to the Making Real Sense with Willie G. Davis Jr. podcast. This podcast is my very own passion project filled with unique and engaging content. My goal is to be impactful and promote solutions to some of the most critical issues we face through the power of active citizen engagement. I believe that everyday people can shape and mold a society where everyone can achieve success. We all are ready for something better. The goal is to mobilize people from all over to work towards a better and just world. Albert Einstein once said, We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Therefore, we must change our thinking patterns and become more creative. We must move to seeing things in terms of what could be, and not what is. It is what it is, doesn't have to be always true. Hopefully, you will subscribe to this podcast and join our community of activists and allies working together and making real sense of the issues and problems we face. It's time for some creative thinking. discrimination practice that had been place, been put in place. So that was something that they were working on and something that we was trying to get done. So after that, the Lyndon Johnson uh, introduced the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And the Voting Rights Act basically sort of eliminated some of the discriminatory practice that was being used to stop black people from voting. So two key parts of that. One is section four and one is section five. So in section four, it talked about those states who had had certain practice in place that prevented 
black people from registering to vote. And most of those states were in the South. Uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, uh, South Carolina. So they had had restrictions in place. So section four of that sort of identified what states and how did you determine which states would be included up under the Voters' Rights Act. That's, that's section four. Section five basically said that once we have identified these states, that these states, before they pass any laws relating to voting, that they had to get pre-clearance from the Justice Department. So section four identifies those states that had to be included because of their past discriminatory practice. And Section 5 said, okay, Georgia's one of those places, Alabama's one of those places that before they can enact any new voting laws relating to voting or election or registration, that they had to get preclearance from the Justice Department. And that act was ruled constitution, I mean, yeah, there was a challenge by South Carolina. It's always either South Carolina or it's always Alabama. So South Carolina ch- uh, challenged the constitutionality of the Voters' Rights Act of 1965. In that challenge, uh, the law was found to be, it was South Carolina versus Kossenbaum. Kossenbaum, who was the attorney general at the time, uh, and the Supreme Court ruled that the Voting Rights Act was constitutional. Originally, when the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, that the pre-clearance portion was to expire every, well, in five years. But every five years after the, every year, five years after that, whenever it came up, the Congress always extended that. So the most recent extension took place in 2006. So after hearings and and different discussions, the Congress, uh, put an extension on the Voters' Rights Act until, for 25 years. That was in 2006, so 25 years. So technically, we still should have been on that uh, protection. But after that, in 2013, the state of Alabama, where Bloody Sunday took place, uh, Shelby County, which one of those states that under Section 4 of the Voters' Rights Act had been identified as somebody as a state that had had passed discrimination in place. Shelby County uh, challenged that, uh, Section 4 and Section 5. Uh, the lower courts, the circuit court, they all ruled against uh, Shelby County, and then the case went to the Supreme Court. So in 2013, the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to four decision, found that Section 4 of the Voters' Rights Act was unconstitutional. That Congress, in fact, had relied on a process that was more than 50 years old determining how people had been discriminated against. So in that it was nothing new, the Supreme Court in this 5-4 to decision said the section four, which dealt with the, how you identify a state or locality that had discriminated, the Supreme Court ruled that to be unconstitutional, but they said that section five 
which said that you had to get preclearance before you can enact the law was still constitutional. So the problem with having Section 5 is that Section 4 did not identify how you determine those states. So once that happened in 2013, then for all practical purposes, the Voting Rights Act was shot, killed, dead. And so that was the Shelby versus Holder. Holder was the Attorney General, and that case basically eliminated uh, Section 4 of the Voters' Rights Act, which means that if you could not identify a state or locality that had discrimination, uh, discriminatory practice in place, then they could not be asked to give, uh, get preclearance from the Justice Department. So th- that was a that was a major issue. So after that happened, then there was a move that the the reason for the Voting Rights Act protection was went back. Was almost like we went back fifty years. That certain states decided that they wanted to put certain things in practice. Vote, I mean, voters' ID, some of those type issues. So there was a floodgate on that. Uh, a lot of state legislators that were ruled by Republicans came up with different means of trying to take away, well, take away, not taking away the right to vote, but just make it harder to vote. So once that took place, and that's sort of what what, what happened. And part of that ruling is that the Supreme Court in that decision, uh, Shelby versus Holder, said that in the most part, it was a violation of the 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which reserved certain rights that was not delegated in the Constitution to be reserved to the states. And the Supreme Court said the states should have the right to say how they run their election. That's Amendment 10. Keep in mind what I'm about, what I'm saying about Amendment 10, because I wanted something as it relates to the bill that was passed in Georgia, how it seems to be a contradiction. So now, as you know, there's probably more than 250 bills that are pending in legislate in states where Republicans are in control. So, what does what does this come from? So we we have the Voters' Rights Act, which has been diluted to a point because you don't identify places that have practiced uh, discrimination. So since you don't have the right to identify those places, then those there's no reason to get preclearance or there's no reason to say, hey, we got to look at this before it's enacted. Now, we're going to jump back. We're going to jump to 2020. So we all know what happened with the big lie, that all that you heard from Donald Trump, instead of accepting defeat, Donald Trump's position was the election was fraudulent, they cheated. They cheated. There's no integrity. Everything is wrong. You know, people shouldn't be able to vote by mail. People should not be able to get, request absentee ballots. Uh, you shouldn't have all these voters drop box to make it easy, accessible for people to vote. So that is what, you know, a lot of times you hear now. It's the big lie. The big Donald Trump lie. That the election, because, you know, everybody, you know Donald Trump. If anything goes wrong, he's not to blame, and he's not going to take responsibility. And it is much easier for him to say the election was fraudulent than to say, hey, I lost. So that became the big lie. So part of that 
as we know, after the election, that Donald Trump took different actions to try to get states to overturn the election results. And Georgia was one of those places that he sought to have the election results overturned. So, I mean, Georgia's not the only place, but as it relates to SB202, I want to use Georgia because Georgia's one of those places. Now, Georgia has a Secretary of State. Georgia's Secretary of State, for the most part, main responsibility has always been elections. And that's the primary role of the Secretary of State, just to oversee, make sure elections are going right. So we know that during the campaign, well, after the campaign, that Donald Trump had a problem with Georgia's governor, had a problem with the lieutenant governor, and had a problem with the Secretary of State that he wanted the Secretary of State who runs the election, who has control uh, of certain components of that, to overturn the election. And the Secretary of State probably was the most, I would say, uh, one Republican who showed some leadership, who showed some courage, and he stood up to Donald Trump. He didn't, he said there was no problem with the election. I'm not going to try to make a county or local uh, election office do anything, and that's just the way it is. You know, the election, the votes were counted over and over and over, and the results are still the same. So after that, when you look at this tremendous increase in voters' turnout, I mean, you have people that are just turning out to vote. And he said, and Donald Trump, well, it's just fraudulent. All those people could not have just come out to vote. Well, you know, if you give them a reason, I've always been in a position, if you give people a reason, they will turn out to vote. And their main reason was they were tired of Trump and all of his foolishness, and people turned out and they voted. They uh, used whatever means, absentee ballot, mail-in ballot, because we were going through the uh, pandemic. So they turned out. And they voted. And not only did uh, Joe Biden win Georgia uh, because of that big turnout, then the Senate race, both Senate races, were placed in a runoff. And when they was placed in a runoff, uh, that election took place in January uh, after the November election. And turnout increase again and two Democratic senators were elected beating two incumbent Republicans. Nothing fraudulent about it. Uh, No evidence of anything being fraudulent. It was just that the people were tired of the treatment that they were getting from the people that was representing them in the Senate and they went out and they voted and they elected two Democratic uh, senators. Now, After that is when everything starts to drop because the Republicans, uh, you know, start to look at all of this and they think it and they're saying, hey, we're not going to win any elections if people can have all these easy access to voting. So they that's the decision that they made that they're not going to allow that. So they're going to come up with different things and they're going to change the requirements. They're going to change uh, the law for people to vote. 
and Georgia being one of those states that are ran by Republicans. So they introduced the bill, and, and ironically, they put the title on the Integrity Act. There was nothing wrong with the uh, election, but they think just calling it that, that they're dealing with some real issues, but there was no issues to be dealt with. The main issue was that people turned out to vote in record numbers, and that's how a democracy works. So if we had not, if the Supreme Court in 2013 and Shelby uh, versus Holder had not killed uh, Section 4, then the bill that the Georgia House and Senate just recently passed would have had to go through the Justice Department for pre-clearance before it could be, could be enacted. So that didn't happen. So that's part of why we're here, because that wasn't there and there wasn't uh, any protection for that. So now you have this bill, and let's look at that particular bill. It means that if you, Georgia used to have a no excuse absentee ballot, which means that you didn't need to have a reason, you just uh, said you needed, you wanted to vote absentee. This was passed in 2005 by the Georgia's Republican Party legislative uh, state legislator. They passed the no excuse Act in 2005, which made it easier for people to request absentee ballot. During that time, when you look at the statistics and the history of absentee ballot, uh, the majority of people that normally request absentee ballot were Republicans. So when Republicans looked like they was having this, I'm going to make getting the absentee ballot easier, they thought it was helping their party. But Stacey Abrams, and all of those out uh, trying to make sure that there was a good turnout, used that, told people, hey, you know, when there was a pandemic, make a request for the absentee ballot, vote by mail, and people took advantage of that. So one of the ironic things is that in this particular new bill, 202, is the Republicans do away with what they passed because it no longer benefited them because everybody else was taking advantage and, and using it. So let's look at that particular bill. One thing that comes out is that we know that when we normally have elections in the summer or in the fall, that there, there has been long lines. And now, you know, if somebody was, and even if you had a senior citizen, sometimes you have chairs there sitting and wait because people knew it was important to, to get out and vote. But for some reason now the Republican Party say, if you stand on a long line, uh, nobody can bring you water or nobody can bring you anything to eat, which has nothing whatsoever to do with changing the election or anything like that. Hey, I'm in line. I've been waiting two or three hours. I want to, uh, I want something to drink. I'm surprised that they didn't put in the bill that it would be illegal for you to get out of line if you had to go use the restroom. Because part of the Republican thought process is that we'll get so frustrated if we're thirsty or hungry, that we'll just give up and won't go vote. <sighs> Having no understanding that our thirst for democracy would have been greater, uh, and we'd have stand, and we would have stayed in those lines. So that's part of it. The other thing is that you eliminate the opportunity to vote on the weekends and on Sundays. 
So you can't have your church members, hey, after church, we're going to go march, we're going to go do voting. Or we're going to make have less weekend uh, voting. Uh, we're going to change the time for having uh, early voting. So one of the arguments that the Republicans make in their bill is that if we do something about the absentee ballots, then we will make it better for people who have to count those ballots uh, coming in. But if I still want to vote, and if I don't use an absentee ballot, but I want to stand in the long line, then what about the people who are counting the ballots on election day? So what is the uh, difference? And I'm saying all that to say that there's no justification for whatever the Republicans have said about that particular Election Integrity Act of 2021. It is a 98-page bill. I've gone through it. I've looked over it. I've read it. And I'm just amazed at some of the things that are in it. So let me just mention just some of the some of the stuff that we've talked about that that's that's in that we talked about not being able to give anybody uh water or food once they're voting we talked about cutting the time for voting we and then you have to have the, and then implementing the voter id part where hey if you don't have identification, then you can't vote when you make a request for an absentee ballot, which is, again, it was okay when the Republicans passed it in 2005, but since people have taken advantage of it and they voted Democrat, then it's no good. Here's the fact. Republicans will not win election if democracy works the way it's supposed to work. And by that I mean if everybody that wants to vote turn out and vote, then Republicans don't win elections. And that's why it's a great move to try to take away the rights of people to vote because Republicans will not win elections. And here, here's a couple of examples of that. Let's look at a few presidential Campaign. Let's look at the presidential election of 2000 between George uh, W. Bush and Al Gore. We all know that Al Gore received the most votes, which means that if we did not have the Electoral College and you just went by straight voting, every vote count, pure democracy, Al Gore would have been president, which means that there were more Democratic votes cast than Republican Post cast. Take that to 2016, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton received almost 3 million more votes than Donald Trump. Take away the Electoral College, there were more Democratic votes cast than Republican votes, which means both of those elections would have been won by the Democratic candidate as opposed to the Republican candidate. Which is why sometimes there's a discussion about whether or not to get rid of the Electoral College. If you get rid of the Electoral College, then Republicans don't win. It becomes very difficult.
for them to win the presidency. I mean, if you look at the past few election, uh, hasn't been that many where just the Republican just received more votes. I think the last one would have been George W. Bush uh, against John Kerry. But for the most part, when you look at those election results, more, va- more votes are cast for Democrats than Republicans. So Republicans know that if you make voting easy, then they don't win elections. They just don't win elections. So let, let me talk a little bit about the, uh, the optics of how the Georgia passed that bill. Here's the governor in a room, Governor Brian Kemp. Keep in mind Brian Kemp. Let's talk a little bit about Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State when he ran for governor in 2018 against Stacey Abrams. Brian Kemp, as Secretary of State, purged a number of minority voters from the roll, which means that they were no longer eligible to vote on Election Day. Bryant Kemp won the governorship with about 55,000 more votes than Stacey Abrams out of 4 million votes that had been cast. Had Bryant Kemp as Secretary of State not purged the number of voters that he did, then he probably would not be governor of Georgia. So, it's March 25th, Thursday the the House and the Senate finally passed this bill. Uh, for those who might remember, there was a storm in Georgia. So I said then uh, a storm going on. So normally when you have a bill like this, you have members of the Senate or, uh, or Republicans, I mean Democrats and Republicans that may sit in while the governor signed this bill. And the motto of Georgia is wisdom, justice, and moderation. And that sits outside the door of the governor's uh, office. But in this particular room, the governor's private room, it was locked. And for those who have seen the picture, so you have what I'm going to call the three white, three white mass men, which was interesting to me that all of them were masks. And normally they're the ones that talked about we ought not to be wearing masks. It's the Republicans normally saying we ought not to be wearing masks. But all of them are masked up. Uh, surrounding the governor and if you look at that picture picture of that of, of that signing of the bill you would see in the background a photo on this is this is Brian Kemp's private uh, office where he is signing the bill on the wall is a picture of a plantation so here's the governor his private office with the three white mass men signing a bill that they want to call the Election Integrity Act of 2021 if, that we're going to probably just call the Republican Life Fraud Act of 2021. So here they are, the six white mass men in a room with the governor with a photo in the backdrop of a plantation and there is a member of the Georgia House of Representative that wants to be in the room. So she knocks on the governor's door. Black female. She knocks on the door, which is the governor's office. She's a member of the state house. 
Now, I have worked at the General Assembly uh, with the Legislative Black Caucus, so I know that when, when you get a bill signed and the governor normally uh, have people come in, but that's the first instance where I remember that it's in the private chambers of the governor. And why the governor and the six white masked men standing in front of a photo of a plantation, there's this black female state representative who's being handcuffed and taken away. It looks like the 1960s over again. Something is being signed that's going to take away the rights of uh, black people uh, to vote. So, I mean, there's a lot going on uh, on this particular issue that we have uh, people that are asking for uh, boycotts, asking business in Georgia to take a stand, asking uh, that people do something, that you boycott, that, that there are some pending uh, lawsuits against the bill. But like I said, had the section for the Voting Rights Act not been ruled unconstitutional by under the Chevy versus Holder, this bill would not have probably passed mustard from the, well, you know, the other thing, had it been in place and it might have been Trump, then it was the Justice Department. So, you know, it's hard to say. But it doesn't, it doesn't pass with any Democrat support because Democrats want people to be able to vote, want to make sure that it's easy for them uh, to vote. So you have this still going on. It still becomes a major. And Georgia is just the first state. There are other Republican states that are trying to do something. Some of them might have been slowed down because of all of the negative press that the state of Georgia is getting. Uh, Brian Kemp, uh, I mean, he, he's, he's up for re-election next year, and he realized that if people turn out and vote, and it's easy for them to vote, he will not be re-elected. And Republicans also understand that if people turn out and vote next year, because they will try to get back that other Senate seat that uh, uh, Senator Warnock currently holds, that, that seat is up. So they're trying to get that seat. They were trying to get the governor's seat. So that's when you call the Election Integrity Act. It should be called the Get the Senate and the Governor's Seat Back Act. So that's the seem to be the whole purpose of doing that. So what does all of this mean? I mean, what, why is it in? Why is it important? Uh, what does it mean to us as individuals? Well. Voting has always been, if we say, important. Voting makes a difference. One of the, uh, when I graduated from college, one of the, well, the first job that I got upon graduation with the Voters Education Project. And the Voters Education Project, with that, my job was to go out and get people registered to vote and also to educate them on the electoral process. Uh, I was proud when I worked with the Voters Education Project because it had also been an organization that uh, John Lewis worked with. And John Lewis was one of the people that were responsible for the Voters uh, Education Project being in place. 
So that was important to just get people registered to vote. And another organization that I worked with, which basically came from that, was the Southern Regional Council. Southern Regional Council uh, was an organization that looked at electoral process in the former 11 Confederate states, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Louisiana, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, and Kentucky. When I worked with them, and it was another organization, again, that John Lewis was uh, with. So when I worked with them, one of the jobs that I had was to measure the effect of the Voters' Rights Act. Uh, so at the time that I worked with them, it was probably less than 30 years after the passage of the Voters' Rights Act. But I noticed in my job that when I measured from 1965 up until then, I think the 19... 1990, that with the increase in black registration, it also led to the increase of black uh, elected officials, uh, especially in state government. So it led to a real increase in that. I think one of the examples that most people remember in the, in the 80s was the election of Doug Wilder as governor of Virginia, which was amazing because Virginia was one of those southern uh, strongholds. But the Voting Rights Act did lead to an increase of black uh, elected officials. So and I think Republicans understand that, that the Voting Rights Act, for the most part, does lead to an increase of registered voters. And it's one thing to be registered, but it's another thing to actually go out and vote. So when we turn out, when blacks minority turn out, then it really is not a benefit uh, to the Republican Party. So we got to look at today, like, what do we do? What, 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 what do you do? Where do we go uh, from here? So part of that is we can sit, we can complain, and we can do nothing about it. And that's not going to benefit us at all. So one of the things, and I think one of the a business leader, I think it, well, well the CEO of, of Delta said that the bill was an attack on democracy itself. And that's what it is. If we sit and do nothing, we will allow this assault, this attack by the Republican Party of Georgia, by the governor of Georgia, uh, just to stand. Now, remember when I talked about the 10th Amendment and how rights not delegated to the federal government are reserved for the states? Uh, so here's another part about that particular bill. The bill basically took away the rights of the Secretary of State. And like I said, the Secretary of State was normally responsible for elections and was a voting member of the elect state election board. But now the bill says that the, basically that the Republican uh, legislator can, accept, can appoint somebody else to oversee that. That's what Donald Trump was asking. Donald Trump said replace the Secretary of State and put somebody else in there so I can get this election overturned. So that's actually what's in the uh, vote. So part of it is that this board can now look and say, hey, we don't like what this county is doing. We don't like how this county may be making voting easy and accessible. So this board can appoint somebody and overtake what the local county boards may do. So here's my the interesting connection with that. 
if the Tenth Amendment says that states have a right to run their own election and not have interference by the state, by the federal government, then how is it that the Georgia General Assembly passes a bill that allows the state to tell the county how to run their elections and most of those counties that they want to take over a county that are led by Democratic elected officials. It's just one of the ongoing hypocrisy of the Republican parties that they, they don't have issues. They can't win on issues. So we want to take away the right for people to vote because we can't, they can't win on issues. They have no issues. Then uh, you have somebody like Lindsey Graham, a senator from South Carolina, who makes a statement and says about too many people in Georgia voted. Something had to be wrong. And Lindsey Graham, I, I don't know if you can be as, any more big of a hypocrite. You know, this is a man that in 2016 called Donald Trump a liar and, and, and a racist. And then when Donald Trump was in office, he spent every weekend kissing his behind, playing golf with him. And this is the same Lindsey Graham that, in, as a member of the House, was a House manager in the impeachment of Bill Clinton. So he thought it was okay that Bill Clinton need to have been impeached. And we all know what Bill Clinton did. He lied about having sex with an intern. But that's impeachable. But Donald Trump found on two instance nothing wrong with what Donald Trump did that called for impeachment this is the same Lindsey Graham that made him made the statement that when Barack Obama made a uh, tried to make an appointment to the Supreme Court to say that we need to wait till out the election that's just only fair but this is the same Lindsey Graham that when a seat came open in the end of Donald Trump's term, we have the right to go ahead and put the nomination up. So listening to Republicans, they're all a bunch of, you know, hypocrites. They're all a bunch of uh, cowards. And I try not to be partisan when I do these, but it, it gets difficult when you have these Republicans, uh, these cowards. I'm going to call them cowards. That's what they are. Uh, they spent four years uh, doing nothing with Trump, they stopped one of uh, Joe Joe Biden's nominate to be over the Office of Management and Budget because of the tweets that she sent and called it that she was talking about people. But for four years, they said absolutely nothing about the tweets that Donald Trump sent. So that still builds up into this whole election type thing and taking the rights of people to. Uh, vote easily uh, based on Republicans. They're cowards. They have no issues. They can't win on issues. And I'm always reminded of something I think John Kennedy said some years ago about the Republican Party that they remind him of their symbol, the elephant, that they grab the tail of the elephant in front of them like a circus elephant, and all they do is go around in circle and they don't ever go anywhere. And that's what type of Republican Party that we have. All they do is go around in circle. They don't do anything. They don't help anybody. They just try to maintain uh, being in office. And that's why we're dealing with things like this Senate bill 
well, 202, what I keep calling the suppression law, because it's not an election integrity bill. It's, it's just some fake thing that Republicans just wanted to uh, put in place. So our democracy is at stake right now. Our democracy is at stake, and we're going to have to do something about it. And we can't argue about this and complain about it and not do something. So what are we going to do? Well, I mean, there's a lot of organizations, Fair Fight, Common Cause, different faith organizations, uh, people that are calling for economic barcodes to send a message. So all I'm saying is that we got to get involved. You've got to get involved. You got to do something. I'm going to ask all of my, those that are in fraternity and sorority, divine nine, Get your fraternity and sorority go out and speak out against this uh, issue. Anybody that loves democracy should take a stand and make their voice heard. Should not sit on the sidelines and let the Republicans continue this type of foolishness. Because this is a, it's an attack on our democracy. We have fought too long to get the right to vote. To have it stripped slowly, step by step away from us from those who have come to the realization, regardless of how much they stand in front of a camera and lie and saying they're trying to make elections safe when there has been no evidence of fraud, except they bought into the big lie of Trump. So we've all got to take an action. If it means participating in the economic bar cart, uh, pushing places like Delta, uh, Coca-Cola to do certain things, we, I mean, <laughs> You got to send a message because this is this is unacceptable. This is totally unacceptable. And those who are friends of democracy, you got to stand up. You got to say something. You got to do something and not let this just go by. So look at where we have come from since the passage of the 1965 Voter Rights Act and where we are today that each and every day some Republican state government are shooting additional bullets into our democracy, that they are slowly taking steps to kill our democracy. And we've got to take an active part in making sure that our democracy continue to exist. So there will be lawsuits, there will be fights, there will be protests, there will be uh, marches, I guess, in a sense. But whatever it is, let your voice be heard, participate, stand up, do something. And one of the things you can do is make sure that you contact your federal elected officials and ask them to pass the John Lewis election law where we're trying to make sure that election rights are protected. So that's the that's one step that we have and 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 I guess and for those who understand the political process and hear the term filibuster and whether to do that or not do it, sometimes you just got to, you know, if it takes that to get this act passed to protect the rights of people in different states, then that's something that needs to take place. And Democrats need to get away from letting Republicans, I'm going to call them, punk them by saying, you know, if you use the filibuster, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. But when they were in control, they never considered anything. They did what they wanted to do. Hey, they hijacked one Supreme Court seat. They rushed another one. And we sit by and we let them do it and then try to guilt 
us into not doing something. So I think that it's time for the Democratic Party, those that are in Congress, those that are in the Senate, to take the necessary action that's going to protect our democracy. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take a stand? Are you going to sit on the sideline? Until this fight is won, when it's time to vote, don't get turned away because you can't make that request for an absentee ballot or the line's too long or you got to drive a little extra to find a drop box. Don't let them deter you from voting and turning out. This fight is not over. The struggle continues. We all just got to play a part in it. And all I'm saying is let's just make some real sense and get out and do what we need to protect our democracy. Thank you.